and hey everybody welcome to know your gear live episode 114 it was a great week i hope it was a great week for you it went by fast which sometimes is good or bad depending on <laughs> how your week went uh so uh let people kind of sign on and uh, go over some of the things today as we did i tried it last week it worked out great which was to give you guys a 20 percent coupon code uh, during the hour show. Uh, thank you to everyone last week who took advantage of that. It uh, was really cool because those funds like help the channel and do, you know, kind of make this stuff happen. Plus, you know, it, it's nice to kind of give you guys a discount. The code is in the description down below. I got a lot of emails, uh, more than I probably anticipated about uh, some of you saying, hey, there's just no way for, for me to catch the show live. Um, so, uh, there was discussion of maybe letting the coupon go, go for this afternoon. You know what I mean? Uh, so we'll see, we'll see. I, I kind of need to kind of work that out in my head. <laughs> you know how I want to do this. The idea is to say thank you for everybody who can make it, uh, during the hour. So, uh, right now the coupon code is just for the hour and we'll see what we can do. And then I'll try and figure out something. I, I always try to figure out something, man. Like I said, I appreciate what you guys do for me. So I try to do something back. Um, all right, and on that note, what's going on this week? Uh, well, uh, just to, just if anyone's curious, we won't we won't uh, make this show about plumbing, <laughs> but yes, my plumbing issue is fixed. They dug up the hole, they fixed my pipe. It's a uh, very exciting stuff. <laughs> so, uh, but it took up some time. Let me tell you. So that's uh, kind of makes your week a little crazy. So uh, that was one thing. So we took talk about that, got that out of the way. I uh, want to do some shout outs, something I've never really done before. But Ellen mentioned this is her first live show. Thank you for being your first live show and hanging out with us. And also I want to thank Titus. Uh, I had my daughter had a, uh, had, a, had a performance today at school. And when I was at her school at the performance, a very cool person came up to me named Titus and uh, said, hey, man, he's a fan of the channel and likes what I do. And uh, we kind of talked about his uh, Black Star 1 watt amp. And Titus, you were a cool dude. Thank you for coming up to me and talking to me for a second. It was uh, It's always cool to, to meet a fellow musician and uh, gear geek, you know, as we like to be. So thank you for that, too. That was cool. Plus, that's just a cool thing to happen, man, when somebody comes up and says hi. Somebody you already know you're going to have something in common with for a minute because you like the same kind of thing, like, you know, music and gear. So on that note, let's uh, let's do some 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 questions. We got some, I'm sure. Uh, the first question comes. Uh, it was I saw it earlier. It was posted before the show started. I try to grab some of the ones where you guys are before the show hanging out and posting questions. The question was: Does Charvel make any instruments that are high end anymore? Is it just import guitars? Uh, and are they any good? And uh, to answer your question, yes, they still do make custom shop and American production guitars. Charvel does. Uh, and they also made a, make a made Mexico line. And they were doing the Desolation stuff, and that was made in China. I'm not sure. Well, I know they don't do the Desolation stuff anymore. I'm not sure that any of the Charvels are made anywhere other than Mexico and the U.S. right now as we speak. In the past, Charvels have been made in Korea and Japan and China and the US, uh, and that's for sure. And But now currently under Fender's control, I believe Charvel is only coming from Mexico and uh, the USA. So if anyone has a Charvel that's currently in production in 2019, 
and you happen to have it made somewhere other than those two places, you can put that in the comments and I'll try to speak to that uh, while I'm talking. Uh, that being said, are they good? Yeah, I think the, the Charvel made in Mexico stuff has been great. Um, like a lot of products that are not all in the high end register, there's going to be hit or misses. I think that's something that, you know, I think if you make a premium product, if you make a $3,000 guitar, I can't imagine you can make 100 perfect guitars or 100 best representations of the guitar. So there's going to be one or two that are not as good as the rest. I don't know if they'll be defective, but they won't be as good as the rest. So yes, I've had a couple Mexican-made Charvels that I thought were fantastic. I could say with good conscience that they were as good as anything I played to made in the USA. And I like here's a good example. I picked up a Mexican-made Charvel a couple of weeks ago at a guitar center, and it's been actually bugging me for about two weeks and i think everybody i know that i've been talking to personally uh, is probably sick of me bringing this up and i haven't brought up to you guys so i tried one of those new charvels that are made in mexico it was the flat pink one where it has a roasted maple neck it was at the guitar center in tempe arizona i believe it's still there so if you live in tempe arizona and you happen to walk into guitar center and you can pick up that horrible horrendous wreck of a guitar and you can tell me what you think next week on the show so i picked up the guitar because i was really curious like you know thousand dollars made in mexico roasted maple neck charvel i wasn't big on the kind of bubblegum flat pink thing but they have a flat gray one that's pretty cool and the frets were sprout the fret sprout was so bad <laughs> it was it was i mean it was bad i mean anybody can pick it up and tell you um and I was confused because, of course, roasting the neck isn't that supposed to extract all the moisture. So why would the neck shrink even more once it arrived at the store? So I don't know. I don't know if they their roasting process is not as, as long as other places. I know that there's a lot to roasting process. Some of them just color the wood. Some of them are actually kind of extruding all the moisture from it. But to that guitar, I was not impressed. And if you ask me, uh, you know, uh, I, that's only one guitar, though. Could there be better ones? Sure. But man, no, no moss. Uh, no. In fact, that guitar led to this guitar. For those listening to the podcast later on, I'm pointing at a guitar with my pen. And you can't see the guitar, but they can. And it looks like a Sir guitar behind me with a roasted maple neck. And it's not. It's a Harley Benton. And that Harley Benton is here solely because of that reason. Um, because after I got that guitar, I was curious. So here is what this poor Harley Benton is doing right now. It is sitting here. I'm acclimating it to the house. And then I plan to continue to let it acclimate to the amazing temperatures of the desert of Arizona to see if the neck shrinks a little bit, if the frets sprout. So I'm curious. So, and plus I'm going to review it and we'll talk about it. And it's, it's, I'm going to get my feel of the guitar and, and so and so. But so to answer that very long question about Charvels, yeah, there's some good ones, some bad ones. Me personally, one of my favorite guitars I had was a Charvel. Uh, and I did a review of it. It's on the channel and in, in my videos in the past. The only thing I didn't like was I liked, I like how on the EVH and the old Charvels, how the bridge, the Floyd used to rest on the body. I don't like the full floating bridges that Charvel's doing now. It's not my thing. So there you go. Uh, Michael MC says, tell us about the Sparkle GL GNL in your last video. Sure. Uh, it, above me right here, what I'm pointing to right now is a GNL ASAT or asset or however you want to say it. <laughs> it always sounds like I'm saying asshat. Uh, isn't that from, um, isn't asshat from, uh, um, Caddyshack? Does he say asshat? I don't know. Uh, nice hat. Does it come with a bowl of soup? Isn't that the quote? Anyways, uh, so the Asat guitar, ASAT. Uh, I have this one, the hardtail one. This is the one I had made by GNL for me. 
I liked that guitar so much that when I was online, I found a dealer who had a really good deal on the, um, the sparkle one you saw. So they are identical, but one's a hardtail and the sparkle is a tremolo. And, uh, so yeah, I obviously I like the GNLs if you could tell. Okay. So hold on one second. Okay. Whoops. Okay. Change screens. Let me get to a question. I just realized I don't have a screen that I can see your guys's all your questions. So I feel really bad about that. <laughs> Let's see if I can. Uh, so yes. Uh, do you, would you like a review of that guitar? You know, I talked about doing a comparison of the tremolo versus the hardtail on the GNLs. Maybe that's just something I can do. Uh, give you guys some insight on that. Other than that, they're identical guitars. The sparkle one is a basswood body, and it's uh, it's the smaller neck. It's the uh, classic modern. It's modern classic. Okay, here we go. And I apologize for everybody who's anybody who's done super chats. They they were pinned in a different screen. Okay, uh, so Sarang wants to know what's my thoughts on the on the Timmy and also the this. Okay, I don't know what the Snouse black box is so i don't know what that is it says snouse black box but the timmy i have a timmy right there i like the timmy in fact i really love the timmy it's a pedal i would use uh most of the time in fact it's weird that it's on my shelf right now for the last probably four months it's been on my pedal board uh so i like the timmy a lot the timmy uh is it paul cochran who makes that am i wrong or right I'm doing off memory it doesn't matter i just if i can remember anyways timmy a uh, couple things that uh, people don't seem to like about the timmy is that some of the controls are backwards right you, when you're turning it clockwise it's decreasing i think treble or bass I, I always find it weird i don't really even pay attention i just turn the knobs until i like it but sometimes i notice like hey is it going the wrong way and then i remember oh yeah this is the pedal that's backwards on the control features so that's a little odd but i always thought the timmy was one of the best deals it seems like and even now because you know because they grow up in value and value but man i think for the price in the boutique world of really notoriety pedals I would think that the OCD and the Timmy seem to me to be the best like dollar to donuts kind of good pedals out there. You know, uh, anything to me that's sub $150, but still gets to be in the boutique kind of high end world of pedals is a very impressive thing. So I've always liked the Timmy for that reason. And there's all kinds of different colors and stuff. I have the traditional like purple one. Um, so like the pedal, I can't highly, I can recommend it highly. I think it's, what's great about the Timmy is whether you buy one new or used, uh, I feel like it's one of those pedals that if you want to buy it, as long as you, uh, you know, play it for a year and if you sold it, you'd probably either get your money back or pretty much, you know, 70% of your money back, 80% of your money back. And uh, that's, that's pretty impressive in today's market. So I'm pretty sure when I bought my Timmy, I know I bought that one new, I think I paid a hundred dollars and then shipping probably $10 shipping. So 110 bucks, they're probably more than that now. Right. But I still think they're sub 150. I can look it up online, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. If somebody could just post that in the comments, if they're just, I just want to know if they're less than 150. Does anyone know if they're less or still are, have they gone over the 150 mark? Anyone looking? Uh, so, and I don't see anybody. Uh, maybe I should have looked it up myself faster than you guys. Uh, yeah, 129 new. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Jimmy Green said 129 new. See, how do you beat that? 
that's tough. So yeah, I can't, I can't recommend that pedal. I think for 130 bucks, uh, it's a definitely a go-to pedal for a lot of people. It's best. It's been cloned by a lot of companies and it's, it's a legitimately cool pedal. So on that note, we'll go to the next one. Okay. Uh, the next, oops, hold on a second. As so I jump around, man, you guys got both questions coming from both sides. All right, let's do one more pin one. Then we'll go back to the regular ones. It says Phil, a lefty 2009 Les Paul Jr. Tribute DC is available. Now Gibson plans a lefty run of the Les, P Les Paul special tribute DC late 2019. Does the one pickup junior sacrifice sound quality or versatility versus the two pickup special? Um, no, you know what it is? I wouldn't look at me personally. I don't look at a one pickup guitar as, as being a sacrifice. I look at the two pickup guitars having more options. So I, you know, a discussion, literally my buddy Dave had texted me this week. He asked me a, a question. He read a great article and he sent it to me. It was on one of the forums or somewhere. And it was, you know, do really do these, this whole idea of a guitar having one pickup. Does that really make the guitar more sustained? And I told him, I said, I hear it. Not I hear the sustain. I hear that musicians have said that for years that one, you know, humbucker in the bridge versus two humbuckers, you get more sustain. Um, I've never heard it. Me personally, I've never heard a guitar. And part of the problem is I wouldn't know. You'd have to, to, for me, I'd have to, the only way to know for sure is to take a two pickup guitar, remove the neck pickup, and then see if the bridge pickup then sustains more. But I understand the theory that everybody's using. The theory is that the second, the second pickup, the pickup by the neck, the magnets in the pickup, what happens as the string, as the string spins, as it passes over the magnet, each time the magnet is slowing the string down because obviously it needs more energy to pass through that magnetic field. That's in a nutshell, the very dumbed down version of the idea behind why an extra pickup or more pickups would then kill sustain. I don't really want to spend like that's not something me personally would spend uh you know three days or two days to try to develop a video to do a test because i can't imagine it matters so here's what i will say to you i think if you get a one pickup guitar like that i think they're cool i think you'd be happy but um but honestly two pickups are going to be more versatile you'll have more options i just don't think the one pickup is going to sound better or worse it's just you lose options so it becomes a question of can you wait to get more, I would like to, so I would position, uh, I'll put it this way, uh, Judson, Judson. I would say that if they're the same price guitar and all you have to do is wait a little while, I don't know, man, do you have a guitar now? Can you wait a little while? <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of the biggest mistakes I've made as a, as in the, in gear as making a purchase because I want the purchase now. And it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, waiting a half a year, I'm not even talking about months. I'm saying six months, a half a year. If you wait half a year to get a better product, uh, especially for the same price. I think it's worth the wait. So I would wait. That was, that's my opinion. And that goes against the whole, I tell everybody just to buy whatever guitar they say. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Thomas says, Phil, I ordered a Gibson original series SG. It is in the mail. I'm stoked. I'm stoked for you, buddy. Uh, my SG was, was for some reason like 10 minutes before I started this thing. It was there, but I moved over to this side. I love my SG. Got a great video with the SG. Uh, filmed it, did not edit it. So man, but I'm stoked about it. In fact, I'm not supposed to well, not, not supposed to put it out, but I'm supposed to put out other videos I promised myself to do first. And I'm going to put this SG out one before it because I'm really excited about it. So uh, you're excited about the SG. I'm excited about a video about my SG. So that's going to be cool. Uh, 
So I'm excited. I hope, I hope, uh, and let me know when you get it, if you love it. Okay. And hold on. Get, I'm getting there. The next, whoa, it jumped. See, I love it when it jumps because then it throws me off. All right. Uh, Gunky Zip says, I got a Jackson with a Sustaniac and the bridge. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen that. I've always seen the Sustaniac in the neck. Maybe back in the day, I remember. Does there ever a guitar with two Sustaniacs? One the bridge, Nick? Huh. I'm just saying that because I'm like, wow, I always think of it as always being the neck. Oh, where did I see bridge? It says, let's do this again. I got a Jackson with a Sustaniac in the neck bridge. So neck and bridge. But it's only shapeable feedback after five seconds via the gain knob. Okay, so what you're saying is you got a Sustaniac in your Jackson. Uh, it says neck bridge, so I'm thinking you got it in both, right? In both positions. But it's only shapeable feedback after five seconds. So what you're saying is it's, it's feeding back for like five seconds and then it just decays off. Is the battery going dead? I know that sounds dumb, man. I, I don't want to be like, you know, hey, should you check the battery? But I mean, seriously, you know, you got to, I mean, that's the first thing I would check is the battery. Um the other thing I would definitely check is the height. Is it is it close enough to the string? Is it too far away? So um, this is where you're going to have to do some diagnostic stuff and figure out what's causing that. The only thing I can tell you for certainty is that doesn't sound right if you're telling me it's only sustaining for a few seconds because it should just go to the it, sustainiacs that I've played. Um, they've always gone until you decided you were done with it. The note holds infinity. It holds until you're done. So, uh, so that does not sound right. Sounds to me they're like it's not getting enough power, so it can't keep the the inertia going. So again, low uh, could be a low battery or the wrong type of battery, or again, it's too far away and it's having trouble keeping the string going with the the field that it's generating. So again, you might want to set the height on that, and or and or you could have a setting issue uh, with the controls. But l what I would do is systematically go in that order, check the, check the power supply, then check the height. And then after that, let's look into the controls to see what in the controls could be bad. That would be how I would diagnose the problem. If you brought it to me, I would go through one issue. Uh, Occam's razor. I'd start the simplest solutions, probably the right one. And then incrementally go, you know, go to the next crazier step. Uh, Neil says, Hey, Phil, uh, got a Korean made 2002 DBZ. Uh, Imperial. Hey, that's cool. They don't make those anymore. DBZ is kind of defunct. It's now diamond and diamond moved over, but that's cool. I, I love the DBZ stuff Imperial for $200 us, uh, used, uh, and it is most comfortable and easy to play guitar. I own, what do you think of these guitars and their GNB pickups, uh, would Seymour Duncan's be better? Um, so the GNB pickups as a quality, I like those pickups. In other words, I've seen where GNB can make great pickups. Those of you who may not know what I'm talking about, because I'm sure you're familiar with more brands like DiMaggio and EMG and Seymour Duncan, GNB, right? Uh, like Golf and Bravo, right? GNB uh, is going is a company. I believe they're Korean made pickups, but I could be wrong. But at one point they were. You know, it's like everything moves now. So you know, if you're five years late with your information, it's not relevant information. But they were Korean made pickups or import pickups, and they make OEM. In other words, they make pickups for everybody. Uh, so many guitars have them. Uh, so many guitars. In fact, uh, most of the guitars that you're going to buy import wise, if you were to pull the pickups, you'll see the little G and logo stamped inside of them so my answer to you is g and b can make good pickups so the pickups in them can be good 
and you should be happy. If the question is, if you do not like the pickups, is it worth upgrading to something that you prefer, like Seymour Duncan's, because you maybe like Duncan's? I say go for it, right? It's a good guitar. You got it into it for 200 bucks. Keep the original pickups, add some Duncan's. And by the time you're done, you got two Duncan's, 150 bucks. You're $350 into that guitar. Like you said, it's the most comfortable guitar you ever played. It's made in Korea. It uh, sounds like a good move. And if you ever decide to sell it, you can yank the Duncan's out and put the GMBs back. However, if you like the way the GMB sound, but maybe uh, this has happened to me, you're self-conscious. You're like, I don't know, am I missing out on something? That sometimes that's something that gets to in our heads, right? Musicians, only musicians think like this, that they're missing out on some sound, right? Sounds good, but could it sound better? I bet you it could sound better, <laughs> right? And then you chase that unicorn for a couple of days. Um, if you're chasing a unicorn sound, in other words, if you're just chasing a sound that you don't even know, uh, that you even want, I would say, man, be happy at 200 bucks. Um, and, uh, and maybe hold off on the pickups. I always, I always look at pickups this way. I got to not like the way the guitar sounds to upgrade the pickups. A lot of people, a lot of musicians, they'll, they'll hear the guitar and they'll go, it sounds good, but it could be better. I always get a little like, okay, you know, maybe that can work out. But if you like the way the guitar sounds, leave it alone. Okay. Uh, and then Bruce wants to know about Personas USB interfaces thoughts. I've used the Personas uh, USB interface. I switched to Claret. Claret. I have that Claret Pre 4. I do not like my Claret. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, everybody said it's great. I, gosh, I think I paid 500 bucks for it or $600. I don't know. What do they go for? Uh, I bought it from Sweetwater. Uh, and I like my Personas better. So um, I switched to it because I got a new Mac and I wanted to upgrade. Uh, this uses the Firewire. And I thought, oh, that's going to be better for latency issues and all this stuff. And um, this is a perfect example. So, you know, because so, a lot of you guys that are probably recording people more so than me, you're probably going to start telling me how the Clariat, uh, Claret, whatever is better. And you're probably right. I always find this interesting. I always kind of like the know your gear logic again is better doesn't mean better all the time because a quality product can be a better quality product, but it's how you use it. And for some reason, I could use the persona stuff easier. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't know what it is about it. Just made it more. So uh, yeah, that's my thing on personas. Um, the uh, Mark Henry says, hey, I have a PV Bandit 112 that needs a new volume pot. Any suggestion for places here in the valley? So he lives where I live in Arizona to uh, get the work done. Um, you know, I will tell you, Mark, there's a couple things. There's a couple repair shops in the in, in, in the Phoenix area that are good for amps. What I've learned is, is you always ask for good advice or ask for a good recommendation at that moment because repair shops, they fluctuate. And in other words, they can do good work, but sometimes they take forever because they're backlogged and stuff i know imtronics in chandler arizona um is is pretty good uh, imtronics is a company that's had a couple different owners the current owner seems to be really good and the company seems really good again you know i can't tell you for sure because i haven't had any repair work done for an amp for me in a couple years so i'm i'm kind of out, out you know i mean i don't know a good repair shop if somebody local has any comments you can put those in the comments of this video but like i said the imtronics people seem pretty good um i take my guitar lesson from one of my buddies and they're right by there so i get to see them about once a week and they seem like they're doing pretty good and pretty good stuff uh 
Okay, I'm going to switch over. I know there's some super chats. I'm going to get to them. I just want to make sure we get both sides of the of the questions. So, hold on a second. All right. Hold on. Oh, oh, man. This is a question I don't have an answer for, but I love the question. The homie... Domination says, when do you use angle pickup rings instead of flat pickup rings? You know what? Why that's a great question. So many times, and I maybe you guys are like that had this experience. So many times I bought guitars brand new, not even used, just brand new, and wondered why some of them had an angled. So let me start with uh, homie. So, so no one's just chiming in. Like, I don't know the answer. I'm going to tell you the answer real quick. The main reason you're supposed to have angled pickup rings versus flat pickle rings, uh, uh, pickle rings, pickup rings is basically based on the angle of the neck and the bridge. So what happens, some manufacturers will tilt the neck angle downward and then angle the bridge at an angle too. And then, so the pickups have to be on that same slope and that's why they have angled pickup rings. So um, sometimes that happens because like a tremolo, right? Maybe a tremolo system is pitched up and at a downward angle and they'll pitch the neck accordingly, whether the neck has been shimmed or it's a set neck and it's at an angle. That is the reason why they make angled versus flat pickup rings. The reason why I'm telling you, I don't know your, the answer though, even though that's the correct answer, it's that's the correct answer in theory, but in practicality, I see guitars all the time. I get a guitar brand new and it has angled pickup rings in it, but the bridge and the neck are flush and vice versa, flat pickup rings where it's angled. And uh, sometimes even funnier, I like it when there's angled pickup <laughs> rings, but then the pickups kind of go flat anyways. <laughs> like they don't ride at the angle, <laughs> right? Because maybe the springs aren't firm enough. So the answer to your question is that's why they use them. That's why there's two different kinds. They are to keep the pickups parallel to the strings, whether the strings being at an angle or flat. Um, but Generally speaking, what I've seen in the past is it doesn't matter <laughs> and I don't notice it. So, uh, so that, and if that might be a second question, can you use one or the other? I I've seen it so many times with no issues. I wouldn't even put any thought into it. It's a more of a, to me, it's more of an aesthetic thing. Uh, if it's going to bug you, uh, but as a, as a, you know, I mean, I guess it makes sense to always use the right part for the right job. So if it's got an angle, use angled pickup rings. But like I said, if they're not really available to you, I don't think it would do you. Shaman Blue says, hey, Phil, are you really taking lessons? Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. Uh, yes, um, I like to take lessons. Um, sometimes I take lessons via Skype with like Dave Nesdell. If you guys know Dave Nesdell from the Johnny Bean channel. Sometimes I'll I take lessons from my buddy, Matt Vendall. If you look in my video catalog, uh, he's been in a couple videos like the seven string or seven gauge string video. He was also in my boss blues driver pet video. Uh, Matt was my lead teacher at the, my lesson academy for... 12 years. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, we're good friends, obviously. One of the things I can say is almost all the people who ever work for me, I'm friends with afterwards, which is always nice. You know what I mean? I don't know if that, I don't know if that just means I'm a good person and, or a good boss or neither. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, uh, so what I like to do is I like to, I don't take lessons all throughout the year. I like to, 
just kind of set aside a time frame, maybe a couple months. I'll say, okay, for these next two months, I'm going to take lessons every week, or I'll do it for three months. Uh, sometimes I do a crash course one month. And the reason I do that is um, I, I can tell you right now, most of the time, as you get older, what I find, and as you've been playing longer, no matter how good or bad you are, right? It, it, it's not a skill set thing. It's not if you're a good guitar player, there's nothing else to uh, learn. And if you're a bad guitar player, there's always more to learn. It literally becomes, as you get older, it gets harder to get better. And the other thing that, so what happens is you're not going to get any better on your own for the most part. You know what I mean? You're going to stay in the ruts. So I like to take lessons. And the reason is not to be a better guitar player, but to the exchange, when you exchange ideas and when you learn things from another musician, it just makes you, I don't know, it makes you a better musician, but it also keeps new ideas coming in and it keeps me out of, uh, you know, the old ideas. I just do it for the joy of it. So, uh, you know, and I'd like to point out, so, you know, Matt is amazing. Like I said, Dave and Matt are definitely the two best teachers I've ever gone to. I can't say enough. And I always tell everybody this, don't use my playing as the barometer for how good they are. They're way better. I'm just a horrible student. So like I said, uh, there's nothing they can do to improve me, but thank God they keep trying. <laughs> so, they, uh, so, <laughs> so Nathan just said, had to send another chat. You're a good boss. Thank you, Nathan, man. That's thank you. Uh, they, uh, I can't wait till we get to see each other again. As you guys know, Nathan works. Nathan used to live here and work with me. And then he moved all the way from Arizona to Maryland to build PRS guitars. And uh, that's dedication. And uh, that's awesome. You know what I mean? So uh, there you go, showman. That's why I take the lessons. I think it's a good idea. I tell everybody, I think everybody should. Uh, I think people think, and I'm going to go, this is subjects getting a little long, so I'll, I'll jump subjects now. But to wrap up, I think people look at guitar lessons as a as a as a learning teaching thing. In other words, like a class, right? You know, even though it's one on one, you think it was a class. I like to think of it as tutoring. And what I say by that is I don't need to go every day. Some people may want to. I don't. I don't want to go every week for years. I like to go a couple weeks every year with an agenda. Hey, this is the things I'm having trouble with. These are the things. And so, you know, for a lot of stuff I go to lessons for it's like 10 years in now of going to lessons and saying, I still don't have this down. Can we keep working on this? Because some things just don't click. So, and some things do. So there you go. And last week we worked on more triads. <laughs> so if that helps, if that tells you what we work on. So uh, there you go. All right. Uh, let's do another quick super chat as I jump over the other side real quick. And we're going to go with, uh, Dan, Dan Oliver wants to know, Hey Phil, what's the thoughts on cleaning phenolic fretboards? Uh, read a lot of different things. I own an Epiphone MKH Snowfall LP, uh, with one. Is that the one where the fretboard's white? I would imagine. Uh, I hope, I hope I'm somewhat right. I'm going to say, yeah, right. The Snowfall LP is that cool, uh, Epiphone Les Paul that's all white and the fretboard's, uh, white. Um, cleaning the fretboards. I don't know. I know this, you don't need any oil or any wood. There's no wood in it. So don't use anything that's for wood. Uh, the metal, the frets will not like water. So don't put water on them. <laughs> so I, I don't know what you would use. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, if I was going to guess, and I'm sure, please don't take my guess. You know, I would, I, you're, this is one of the things I appreciate you super chatting me and asking me. Uh, I, but, uh, 
I can tell you I, I own some guitars with phenolic fretboards. I can tell you what I use. And, uh, and the only reason I'm telling you this is I've used this for years and no issues. Um, because phenolic fretboards, I got like four instruments with phenolic resin fretboards. Um, and uh, I'm a bass player member. So basses have had phenolic fretboards like commonly for decades. Um, so I use guitar polish. I, I, this, I actually use Dunlop 65. I, I'm not associated with these guys at all. In fact, there's a price tag for it and I just bought it. <laughs> so uh, I use Dunlop 65. Why? I don't know. I think my theory is, is that um, uh, if I spray this stuff on something and something goes horribly wrong, I feel like if I called Dunlop, somebody would answer. You, you know what I mean? I don't like the weird fly-by-night companies where you know, who knows if anyone can answer a problem that their products created. So, um, and I'm a big proponent of this and I, I spray it on microfiber cloth. So to clean your fretboard, I would just spray it on a cloth. You just make it damp just to get the oil and dirt off of it. If someone who's more versed in phenolic resin fretboards and stuff like that has better information, I would probably rely on that. My information is based on my experience and I've had no downfalls or issues with anything like that. And you can do that no problem. So I think you're fine with that. I've been fine with it for years and no issues. Um, so if that if that helps. And then for everybody listening and watching uh, that may not know what the heck a phenolic resin fretboard is, it's a man-made mater material. Uh, phenolic resins, you know, so now it's uh, Rich Light. I'm sure his fretboard uh, is the Rich Light, which is a brand. I believe the way you should look at Rich Light is that way. It's a brand. It's no different than Kleenex or Jello. Rich Light is a type of brand. It's not a type of product. As far as I know, Rich Light is not the material. The Rich Light is the company that makes the material and the material is a phenolic resin product. Um, the way I like to explain phenolic resin fretboards to everyone is where they came from. Phenolic resin was a product or the, the phenolic material is a plastic based product that has wood in it. Some of it does, some of it doesn't. But more importantly, where most people would know it is, it's really common with uh, steak knife cutlery, <laughs> right? In fact, in the 50s, it was billed as a future product. It was space age material uh, that could withstand dishwashers. So you could make steak knife handles out of phenolic resins. And so, because if you stick wooden handled steak knives in your dishwasher with all that hot water and steam, it would ruin the, the wooden handles, right? So they created phenolic resin handles that look like wood, feel like wood, but can handle the dishwasher. And I don't know, you'd have to do some online research to find out what at some point made somebody start making fretboards out of it. But companies like Zon Bases and Modulus Bases and uh, Moses Graphite and uh, you name it, you know, Ibanez, uh, so many companies have used it on bases and guitars now and it's getting more popular because um, it's really durable and it's very consistent. So uh, I have a carbon fiber guitar that has a phenolic resin fretboard. It's great. Uh, so yeah, somebody saying brake calipers, pistons. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's used. I mean, phenolic resins are used for everything. That's why I said it gets a little tricky because there's always somebody in the audience. Uh, always, every time I've ever talked about phenolic resins, there's always a couple engineers in the audience that work with it daily. And they get a little, they'll send me, you're going to send me emails because you always do detailing what it actually is in all the categories. And, and that's why I understand that. So, um, uh, yeah, Bakelite is a phenolic resin pro uh, product. Yes. Bob Piquo. Thanks. You're right. Bakelite is. So like I said, there's all kinds of phenolic resin products and like, and there's different ways to make the phenolic resin. Cause like I said, that's why some of the fretboards actually look like ebony because there's actually shredded like wood in that phenolic resin. And some of them are just the actual plastic. So, um, 
so it's really cool. So if you're not familiar with it, check it out. And like I said, uh, it seems like uh, Rich Light is, um, is one of the leading innovators recently on the products. Yeah. So a lot of you guys are talking about it. Yeah. So it's cool stuff. So I thought I'd explain since I was thinking about going, I hope I'm talking about it and you guys are like, what the heck is he? What is it? Uh, what else do we got going on? We have. Okay. Matt Wells. He says, hi. <laughs> okay. Your thoughts on why people can't seem to accept that some guitars are just not meant to be affordable for everyone like PRS or Gibson or CS, uh, uh, I'm saying CS means custom shop. Unlike, uh, for example, cars such as Ferraris, people accept the price for what it is. You know, Matt Wells, it's an interesting question. I like these questions. These are those those kind of great questions. So the, the core of the question is, you know, why do some musicians out there, some people out there, uh, why do they have trouble coming to terms with their high-end guitars? And they're not meant for everybody. They're, they're, they're premium products. Um, you know, it's funny. This is a great question, Matt, because I also feel the same way about this. I think, I, I hope I have done my best on this channel to specifically highlight every type of instrument a musician could come across, whether the guitar is a $100 guitar or a $1,000 guitar or $10,000 guitar, and try not to put all my bias in those videos. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know what I mean? I, you know, what, what I think personally about a hundred dollar guitar and a $10,000 guitar, I don't want my bias to affect anybody's thoughts. I just want to look at it objectively to kind of look at what it is and how impressive it is. What I will tell you, Matt, is I think there's a big, the big deal right now, there seems to be a war on high end guitars. I'll tell you that it seems to be very consistent. If you guys, you guys probably look at a lot of YouTube videos different than I do now. And I understand that, you know, being a content creator at this, you know, when I'm making videos that are hitting hundreds of thousands of views and stuff sometimes and tens of thousands of views on a regular basis, you tend to start noticing trends. You, you know what I mean? You, you, you look at that stuff. What I notice is there's a big war on high end guitars. All of a sudden it's like high end guitars are evil. They're the devil. They're out to, <laughs> right. They're out to get you, you know? Um, and I understand that. What I will tell you is this. I have come full circle in my guitar geekness to where I'm almost more excited about cheap guitars now in looking at them because I'm always more like nowadays when I look at a, like that Harley Benton, when I look at a Harley Benton now or a, a Squire, I'm always amazed at how they did it. You know, it used to be the opposite though. I could tell you a decade ago and I look at a $5,000 guitar. I was like, wow, look at the details. Look how great they made it. Look at the, you know, look at the, the craftsmanship. Look how great this is. And I marveled at it. And now I marvel at a $300 guitar because I'm like, how did they do it? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it is funny how you kind of change your, your, uh, you know, your, your opinions and stuff on that. But that being said, I still like both guitars. Um, and yes, some people probably do have a problem with high-end guitars for that reason. But, uh, you know, the re the reality is, is this. I've never understood if you can't afford it, you, you, people hate it for some reason is a, is a really silly way to go through life. You know, if you know who you are going to be for the next whatever years, you know, everybody's different age. So you have different amount of life left over. Let me say it this way. Wherever you are, you have more life to go. If you think you're going to be the same person till that ends, I guess you should just lock down your opinion now and keep it that way. But if you think if you got some idea in your head that you might be growing or changing, maybe be more open-minded. This is what I'm saying. I, I personally, uh, I think it's cool. I like both kinds of guitars. So I personally don't like to spend high-end amounts of money, but I sure like the high-end guitars. So 
That's why I come up with interesting new ways. I got a guitar this week. You know, this is a good segue conversation. Check this out. Um, uh, this week, something happened, and it's a perfect example of how you can use ingenuity to get somewhere where it comes to guitars. Um, I bought a Dr. Z amp. You guys remember it was red. It was right there. It was a great amp. I bought that amp. I really love that doctor. It was a Dr. Z Maz 38. Love that amp, by the way. As soon as I plugged into it, I was I was loving it. But I started thinking about the fact that I'd rather have an 18 watt and a head. And Dr. Z Maz 18. And I was considering selling the Maz 38 to get the 18. And then lo and behold, on my local Craigslist this week, somebody posted an, uh, an ad for a 2001 Gibson Les Paul gold top with upgraded pickups, but the original pickups case the whole nine yards. And they were asking 1700 for it or they'd trade for a Maz 38. So I traded them. And the reason I think this is interesting is, as you guys know, that's not the gold Les Paul I traded, by the way. That's my gold Les Paul I just bought a couple weeks ago, right? So I didn't need another gold left, uh, Les Paul. But of course, this is why this is why it's important to talk about this with collectors. I traded because that's a great trade. I can now trade that gold top Les Paul. I guarantee you for a Maz 18 head if I can come across one. Or better yet, I can sell that amp now and get the Maz 18. What I'm trying to tell you is that's one thing about the collection to collecting side of this world, right? Is that it's not just about tone and music. That's a part of it. We love that. You know, Joe Bonamassa is a perfect example. He's a bona fide rock star. He's a musician. He buys instruments for the real reasons, which is to make albums and perform. And people say he's real and a, and a, and a, a nerd that collects is not real. But Joe Bonamassa is also that nerd. He's also a collector. Collector is part of this. Sometimes you're one, sometimes you're both. So in this case, as a collector, I know having a gold top Les Paul, 2001 gold top Les Paul is, is easy trade now. I can find... I can find stuff that I can get with that guitar easier than I can get with that Maz 38. So it was really good. And so, and the person I trade with is really happy because uh, they want a Maz 38 and they want to go through the trouble of selling Les Paul and then finding a deal on a Maz 38. So it kind of worked out. That's how sometimes this works. And the reason I bring that up is because it goes to the question earlier about high-end guitars. You know, when you see me with a high-end guitar, I can almost tell you most cases I traded for it. That's how I got them. I worked up. You know what I mean? That's just how it works. All my gear is a workup. It's like, just like that kid or uh, the guy who did a, a video years ago on Craigslist, he traded a paperclip and then eventually got a house. My whole collection, right? By the time I got my collection, I can tell you right now, my collection has not really changed since I was making $24,000 a year with kids. <laughs> So, uh, I, like I said, so when people are like say things about me, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I once bought a cabinet. This is a true story. I once bought a 412 cabinet for a hundred bucks off a guy, and then went and traded that cabinet for a, an Ergodyne base that I wanted that was worth 350 bucks. I mean, that's so I basically got an Ergodyne base for a hundred bucks. I didn't have 350 bucks for the base, so I figured out a way to get something to bring that had value. So, like I said, there's more ways to. Is that the saying? There's more than one way to skin a cat. It's the weirdest dumb saying ever. <laughs> we need a 2019 update for that saying. I don't think you should. <laughs> I don't think people in PETA would like that saying anymore. Um, let's see. Uh, Benjamin wants to know. Uh, he says, hey, love the show. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Says, thanks for helping me make crappy guitars. Great. Dude, that's awesome. I appreciate that. I got something, man. I want to tell you. I cannot tell you. But I could 
but I, what I can say is I know this is like a stupid YouTuber thing that we all do. Like I got an announcement, but I can't tell you what it is. Uh, but I have an announcement. I can't tell you what it is. I can't. I'm not. I'm not allowed. But I promise you, if you like repair videos, you're going to be happy about this. Okay. So stage name Alpha says, "What fuzz pedal would you recommend for bass?" Oh, that's a good question because I don't use fuzz on my bass. Um, if I was going to use, I don't. So I mean, it's. I mean, I'm a horrible, horrible answer because I never use fuzz on bass. And what's funny is. Um, and I like Muse, so I don't know why I don't use fuzz on bass. I don't think I play a lot of Muse songs on bass. I tend to play the Muse songs when I'm playing guitar. Um, there are all kinds of bass fuzzes out there, but I oh, you know what? I can tell you, I can tell you something I think you should try. One of the things that I used to enjoy with bass guitars is bass guitars tend to be fun with cheap guitar pedals. So um, so if you can go find yourself one of those $20 crappy plastic fuzz pedals in a guitar store or a pawn shop or somewhere or one of those book trade stores, you know, where they trade like treadmills and books and CDs and stuff, um, you know, try cheap fuzz pedals, right? Because here's why. You're going to want it, that fuzz pedal to be real light anyways because you need the ba bass tone to get through. So try something like that. I would try a cheap fuzz pedal. I really liked, you know, for bass, believe it or not, oh, back in the day, the old Ibanez, uh, uh, what is it, a tone lock fuzz pedal for bass? I plugged in that. I used to like that a lot. And like I said, I remember just liking all the cheap fuzz pedals for bass. So, uh, Nathan, hey, Nathan Sanye. Nathan says, what product isn't around anymore that you wish they still made? Um, I would say... Uh, looking at that, you know, I could easily say like companies like Parker Guitars or Tacoma Instruments, Tacoma Acoustics, which were fantastic instruments. There's a ton of brands that you're like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great around. But I think I, when I think of a company that that isn't around anymore that I wish was still around, it's because not because of the products they made were great, but because maybe the the journey that they were on was going to lead to a great place. And I, this may be controversial with people, but that's fine. I think Crate Amps is a company that I wish didn't die. If you look back at Crate, Crate was essentially the, the uh, you know, I think PV, when it started, it really was focused on, let's say, Fender. So a lot of PV amps were like, hey, if you can't afford a Fender. In fact, the first time I ever saw a PV amp, and my buddy, who I, I didn't know anything about anything. This is like, I'm, you know, 16 or 15 years old. I was in a music store and I saw a PV and I'll never forget this. It stuck with me forever. I said, oh, what's a PV? My friend says, oh, it's a poor man's Fender. I'm like, oh. So I was like, I didn't know much. And I, I didn't even know what a Fender was. So I was like, okay, when I see a Fender, I'll know that that's, this is the poor man's version of that. But, uh, and later now looking back at PV, I realized that uh, PV was innovative and was great because he was making affordable products for musicians without going overseas and just doing the kind of low labor kind of crappy thing that we're stuck with now in the world. But the, the counter to that was Crate. Crate was making their stuff in the USA. And of course, I'm sure I'm going to light up the comments with the whole Crate was crappy. But anybody I think who's truly being fair knows that Crate made a couple good things, <laughs> right? And it was towards the end. It was, it was the Blue Voodoo. It was the Stealth. It was, uh, what else did they do? The V series, right? I mean, Crate made some, started really making some interesting products. The, the, the power block. Crate really started becoming more innovative, I think, than a lot of companies are now. Until they got bought by Loud. And then, uh, yeah, see, Crate was still crappy. That's what Ratton says. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're wrong and I'm right 
and I'm and I'm definitely not saying I'm right and you're wrong, even though that's the same thing. I just twisted that. What I'm saying is, is that I really think I can't say, wow, I miss all the crate amps. What I can tell you is, is if you look at the trajectory that crate was at, that was a company that, yeah, see, Bruce says the power block didn't get enough credit. Absolutely. I mean, these are these are products, the crate power block, the blue voodoo, those were products at the time were groundbreaking in the affordable categories. You know, because let's be honest, crate, because again, companies can only be really as good as their competition, right? Everybody's trying, you don't try to be 10,000 times better than your group of competition, right? No one re wins a, a race by lapping somebody three times, right? Usually you're, that's how competitive works. You try to beat the person that, that you're with by some kind of degree, but not extreme. So what I'm saying was at the time that crate started, it was as simple as, you know, if you had $99, there was like five amps in the market in that price range and they made one and everybody's like, it was crappy, but it wasn't made to be anything that hit a price. And for so long, crate was a company that was a price company. They woke up every day. They didn't say, how do we change the musical world? How do we make a product that lends up on an album? I bet you crate didn't ever, ever have that meeting. How do we make an amp that gets on an album? <laughs> they didn't say that for a long time. They said, how do I make an amp that a store owner could, you know, sell to a kid? And they went, they went that way. And sadly enough, uh, you know, they're gone now, but I think they're a company that I, I wish could have stayed, you know, like PV, PV eventually, because PV, I think that's one of the reasons PV went south on us. PV again was innovative and doing things. The 5150 amp made in the USA for whatever, 700 bucks, under a thousand dollars. That was like 10 years ago. You could do that. That was an impressive product. So again, I think, uh, I think when line six came and it kind of wins, um, and again, it's not a dig against line six. It's just explaining the markets. Once the, the market got pushed back to, okay, how do we just make a cheap product again? I think a lot of people, you know, it, it suffered from that. So that's your answer to my question. I wish the crate guys were back. I think they made good stuff and I think they could have done something better. Hopefully. William says carbon. Carbon is a good example, right? You know what I mean? That would be another product now. You know, it's, it's funny. Carbon's funny. At the time carbon closed at that time, because carbon's back now, right? But they closed the, as we know, the amp section. They don't make the guitar amps and stuff anymore and the PAs. I think at the time they closed, which is just two years ago, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Now looking back, I think, man, they could have, I wish carbon amps could have done what Kiesel did with carbon guitars, which is rebrand it, bring it back and give an option that's really interesting. I would personally like to see a thousand dollar made in the USA tube amp, you know what I mean? From Carvin. And, and I know what you're thinking. I, not like a, something to compete with Fender. I'm talking about some, something to compete with like a Freeman. I love Freeman's, but I mean, dude, you know, a $2,000 Freeman, $3,000, $4,000 Freeman, Carvin would have a nice niche there. Just like Kiesel is to PRS, right? And to Sir, you know, you could buy a $4,000 PRS or you can buy a $2,000 Kiesel. It's up to you. It's, it's not one's better it's just different strokes for different folks so you go that right i think it'd be cool if there was a carbon amp uh that would do the same thing you know like it did back in the day it's cool um because without those options we know what happens not only does the import companies win so everything becomes like a made in china amp which is uh you know going to obviously continue to be downgraded in quality to hit price points but then the higher end amps get forced to be more competitive and they're it's hard. And I, and I'm saying this, you know, when I talk to amp builders, especially bigger amp builders, they tell, they, they tell me it's, it's hard because it's hard to justify $3,000 amps to people that are, can buy good amps for $700. It's tough. Even though their amps are better, 
Again, we're not talking about good, whether what product's better. We're talking about what product is going to win and, and appeal and into a mass community or a mass uh, consumer. Uh, the uh, Chuck M Music says, "For your beverage fund, this community rocks." Oh man, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I think this is the secret plan to make me an alcoholic, but it's okay. He said, "Beverage." I think beer. But it is Memorial Day weekend. Um, you know what I mean? Memorial Day will be Monday. I know some every uh, not everybody's here in the United States, um, but I know some countries have some version of Memorial Day. It's uh, it's the day where we honor the fallen soldiers from past wars. And I always think it's an important uh, holiday. I'm not going to be preachy on this. I promise to be short. Just just remember, this holiday is not about soldiers. That's what Veterans Day is for. This is about soldiers that are no longer here with their families. And so it's always a great reminder uh, that anytime you're in peace and we can talk about guitars, it's just a great day. So, uh, so with that being said, you know, uh, but, uh, for, but let's be fair. We also get a three day weekend, which is kind of nice to have a day, extra day to, to relax, but always take a moment and remember all the, all the, the people have given us so much. Okay. So, uh, and on that note, water for giant, just, I assume he's trying to give me beer money because he just put an emoji of a beer. I'm very proud of myself, by the way. I think my kids are also proud of me. I have started using emojis in my text, something I've never done before. Um, they told me I totally do not understand the concept of emojis because <laughs> I send the weird emojis. Uh, and, um, and then I learned the hard way. Don't worry. I did not send anything appropriate to my children, but I learned apparently not all emojis mean what I thought they meant. <laughs> If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, please educate yourself on emojis uh, and be smarter than me before you just start randomly sending fruit pictures or whatever you're sending to people because not everything. Yeah, emojis are weird. Thanks, Thomas. They are weird, but they're here to stay. And uh, you know what? It is a little faster. Like I said, it's a little faster to send a beer glass emoji than say have a beer. Um, let's do a non-pen question. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Um. Oh, uh, Villa Villa Rhino says, "Do you think uh, Epiphone would sell more guitars if they use the Gibson headstock?" Well, I think absolutely. I think if they use the Gibson brand or the headstock, they would sell more guitars. Um, I, I I've always I've con I've gone both back and forth on this actual decision in my head of what I feel about this. Sometimes I say, well, you know, Epiphone is its own entirety of its brand and it does have its own headstock. But deep down, I think like, hey, Squire uses a real Fender headstock. It just says Squire on it. I think uh, Epiphone should just go ahead and say, let's just do the Gibson headstock. It just seems smart to me. Um, and I think they'd sell more guitars. Um, what I'm curious though. Here's the question that goes to your question, which is, do you guys, do you out there think that a lot of players are full of crap because a lot of players are like, hey, I'd buy an Epiphone, but I hate the headstock. If they made Gibson, if they made Epiphones with Gibson headstocks, I would be interested to see how many of my buddies said, oh, I would buy an Epiphone of the right headstock if they wouldn't buy it now because the real reason was they didn't like the Epiphone name. See, that's what I'm curious about. For me, it really is the headstock. I really don't care. You know what I mean? And also the neck profile. Sometimes the neck profiles are different. So, you know what I mean? I like that too. But, so I'm curious. There you go. Uh, BC Rich 581 says, I don't know why people hate those headstocks. I, you know what it is for me? It's not a hatred of the headstock. It's just the Gibson headstock is iconic. It's like the Fender headstock. If Squires had a different headstock than, than Fender's, 
you know, or more importantly, I think a lot of brands, I think we all know when we see a brand, even a premium brand, right? You see that brand that's headstocks kind of like a Fender, kind of like a Gibson or kind of like an Ibanez, right? You can see they're kind of being like a PRS. They're kind of, you know, kind of taking those iconic shapes and getting as close as they can. Sometimes I feel like the headphones that it looks like they're kind of getting as close as they can to the Gibson because they just reverse the ends. You know what I mean? The, the, the instead of the, the tips coming out, they cut them off. Um, and seems cheesy to me. Seems like why not just be there? You're the same company. What are you going to sue yourself for having a headstock too close to yourself? So um, and ultimately, I don't like the idea of what that's about. Squire and Epiphone are two companies trying to uh, and again i like Epiphones. i like squires i own both those brands and because of based on the quality of the product but not on the stupid brands i don't care about squires brand or epiphone as a brand i just like their guitars but what i will tell you is both gibson and fender are definitely push squire and and epiphone as they want to be in that price point but they don't want to devalue their brand. And I always think like, Hey man, if you make good products, it doesn't matter. You know, top to bottom, make great products. I think, uh, and there's a lot of ex examples that Paul Reed Smith now puts Paul Reed Smith on its SE line, uh, top to bottom. So in other words, $10,000 custom shop PRS all the way down to your $500 base model standard SE. You have the PRS brand. I've been a same thing all the way from Japanese made guitars, $3,000 all the way down to hundred dollars. You have the Ibanez brand. There's a lot of brands that are doing that. Jackson now does it that way. You know, um, a lot of brands. And I think those brands have proven, I think in concept as a business model that us as consumers will be okay with it. If you make good product from top to bottom, we'll be okay with it. But I think Gibson and Fender look at it like if they put a Fender logo on a Squire and people have a bad experience with Squire, will devalue Fender's brand. Well, my argument is, well, don't make a crappy Squire. <laughs> right? That's as simple as this. Just, you know, you're just going to have to set the standard at, at a good, at good, <laughs> right? You know, the, don't make crappy products and I think you'll be fine. The, so I, cause I think it's a little bit of cheating sometimes. Don't you guys think that way? Do you think it's a little bit of cheating for a company to basically say, oh yeah, we made this, but we didn't make this it's Squire by Fender, but it's not a Fender, but don't worry. It's biased. It's like, it's like me going, um, <laughs> it's, it's like me getting a $50 referral to referral you somebody and, uh, and you go, are they any good? I'm like, mm, they're okay. I mean, they're good enough for me to get my 50 bucks and you go to them, but don't hold me accountable for anything they do to you. You know what I mean? You're either behind a product or you're not. That's why I think sometimes Epiphone and Squire should just become Fender and, and Gibson. Um, but I also aware of the fact that Squire and Epiphone are now big, prestige, prestigious. Wow. Drink of water time. They are prestigious. Dang. We'll give up. <laughs> They're good brands. Uh, I'm glad we're at the end of the podcast now. Anyways, uh, yeah, this, they make good brands. And so I understand there's value there, but there's my tirade before about the, you know, hey, why not just make it all the same thing? Um, Bam Mosey says SE is made for PRS. Right, of course. But remember, PRS used to not put their name on the SEs. They used to put SE PRS, uh, but not Paul Reed Smith. And now they put Paul Reed Smith on the brand. Again, acknowledging that they're behind the brand. They disclose in the back who makes it, but again, they're behind the product. Um, so let me, here's what I mean by that. Uh, the, uh, if you buy a Squire and it's not great, do you get mad at Fender or do you get mad at Squire? That's my question, right? So, so 
and again, I don't want to say anything controversial, but I want to I want to say something controversial. George Carlin once made a comment about uh, football players acknowledging God in, in 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 football games. When they win, they say thank God, but when they lose, they don't curse at God. I, I get the joke of it. Please don't please don't be offended if you're you know religious. I don't mean to offend anybody. I just want to explain that logic. That's how I feel about Squire. When people love Squires, they go, man, they're great. They're just like Fenders. So Fender gets an accolade. But when Squires are crappy, they say they're Squires. I got a Squire. It's not very good. It's not a real Fender. It's funny. They get to they get to take all the accolades, but none of the negativity. And I find Epiphone does the same thing. When Epiphone's great, they say it's just as good as a Gibson. Of course it is. It's made by Gibson. It's an Epiphone. When an Epiphone is bad, they say, oh, it's an Epiphone. I mean, it's not a Gibson. That's why it's not very good. I think it's funny how those companies, why they're doing that makes total sense. They basically did exactly what we, well, we doing exactly what they want us to do. They're getting all the benefits and none of the negativity, right? <laughs> they get to sell us at price points that they'll know we buy. So the volume's higher. They get to keep the profit. They get to keep their brand integrity, uh, brand integrity, right? Uh, brand value. It's uh, it's nice. Like I said, it's an interesting thing. So that's enough of that subject. We're going to jump now. All right. Next subject uh, is going to be Dave Hansen says to stay open-minded. He just, just, just gave me a comment to say, stay. I will stay open-minded. I think he's referring to my comment earlier about us staying open-minded. Uh, Richard Warren says, what can you tell me about the quality of the hardware on a late 80s Made in Japan Squire Strat? Um, you know, again, that's a hit or miss. I like the Made in Japan Squires. I like the Made in Japan Fenders. Uh, what I will tell you, though, is they are, in the most part, and again, I don't know exactly what guitar you have, so I'm generalizing. Um, I'm going to say I feel confident like six out of ten Made in Japan Squires and, and Fenders will be like this. What my experience is is they were built really well. The quality of the craftsmanship, those guys probably cut those necks by hand. I'm not exaggerating at all. I mean, literally by hand with a hand tool, they scrape those necks and shape them. Uh, these are these are um, Japanese uh, craftsmen at their at their height of their game. You know, is the '80s era Japanese uh, luthiers. So the guitars are built at this amazing standard, but they. But to keep prices down, they use some of the worst parts like plywood bodies or cheap wood bodies. So you can find a lot of main Japan squires and fenders that play great. They sound great because of the quality of the craftsmanship. And this is a great, uh, a great uh, thing to say because I've always said this. Um, you know, if you give John Sir, and I just pick Sir because Sir is a good guitar company. If you pick, if, if you give John Sir a crappy kit, the worst kit right i would love to see that as a video by the way if any of these like paul reed smith wouldn't you love to see this like a fight paul reed smith and john sir and what we do is we make them both put together like the crappiest uh guitar kit that on the market and but my here's my argument if you give a craftsman crappy uh components he will still give you something worth having having because his his skills will He'll, he'll polish those crappy frets. He'll find a ways around those crappy parts. So uh, to answer your question, I think the quality of the guitar is great, but the quality components are not, not that great. That's what I've experienced with the majority of them. There always can be hit or misses with that too as well. Uh, Dream Machine says, 2019 update to the saying, to that saying, there's more than one way to string a Les Paul. There you go. I like that. There's one more one point. There's more than one way to string a Les Paul. Well, we can say guitar. There's more than one way to string a guitar. There is. I did a video. It's like four ways to string a guitar. So thank you, Dream Machine. That's a great update. That's the new PETA approved, although I can't speak for PETA. <laughs> so, but I'm going to say they're going to have less problems with me saying 
restring a guitar versus skin a cat. So there you go. Kevin Rose just said, thank you. I appreciate that, Kevin. That's awesome. Sean Brown said, uh, uh, HBDP preferred noiseless strap pickups. Uh, so, okay. You preferred the noiseless strap pickups to what? But that's good. Uh, that's what I'm curious. Preferred them to what? I like my noiseless pickups. Okay. Like I said last week, they're just not my favorite. They're just not. They're lower output. I think that's the problem I have. And I don't know why. I don't know why they're lower output. They just seem to have less, less volume coming out of the amp than my normal uh, single coil pickups. Uh, Ratten says, have you checked the, I think it's Uli John Roth's, oh, Uli John Roth's Sky Guitar jo uh, Shop. Orders now. No. I don't know what that is. So I'll put a link in the in the description so I can check it out. Well, let's look it out right now. We got we got about five more minutes before we go. Hold on a second. I'm curious. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is okay. I'll share with you guys. This is something I've seen, you know, like this is one of those things on the internet keeps coming back up. Uh here we go. Let me start the uh hey, look at that. It's all cool looking. Uh, says I have to, you know, do something. Okay. Sky store. Welcome. Testimony sky store. Hey, I clicked on it. And where's the guitar to show us the guitar. There you go. That's not a very good guitar or a very good picture of the guitar. Huh? Well, that's what the guitar is. He's it. Uh, so yes, I've seen the guitar. This is horrible. Can't share. You know what? I probably was better off going to Google, Google images. Hold on a second. Those listening to the podcast right now are like, this is horrible. <laughs> Let's go to images. There you go. See? Here we go, guys. There he is. Yes, that guitar is crazy. It kind of reminds me of Prince's guitar. You know what I mean? Out there and crazy. So I've seen the guitar. It's one of those guitars I've never seen in person. Um, have you checked it out? Nope. I've seen the pictures of it like you. I don't even think I've seen one at NAM ever. So, um, Maybe they'll have one at Tolman. I don't know. I'll be at Tolman soon enough. Uh, Servando Flores says, any suggestions for taming noise on high gain amps? Noise gate is enough to keep lower gain channel quiet, but not the high gain. Power conditioning? Power conditioning will help. Um, what will also help, the because you really got to think about like a noise floor, right? What's causing that problem? You're going to have problems with your guitar cables, right? Once once you have a high gain amp, because you're saying high gain, so high gain is going to create the noise. So it's not a defective product. We know that the amp's doing what it's supposed to. It's just obviously creating a lot of noise because it's a lot of gain. You're going to have to start thinking about shielding things. You're going to think about higher guitar, uh, better guitar quality guitar cables, not $300 guitar cables. Just don't buy crappy ones, right? Make sure you have a good quality cable. If you guys are looking for that, I can, um, you know, we can, maybe I'll do a video of that. Is that something you guys care about? The cables I use, I use uh, cables from Hosa. They're mid-level cables, you know, right? Um, I use cables from Daddario, right? Uh, again, I like their cables, Planet Waves cables, which is Daddario. I have some of the uh, PRS cables that are nice. Um, all of my cables that I currently have, I bought. So there you go. There's no you know, sponsorship push or anything there, just stuff I buy. And I generally buy cables that, um, all I look for is good cables that when I move them, you know, I can't hear it through the amp. I'm looking for something good quality. You usually can find that in the 20 to $35 range. And, uh, 
And uh, of course you have the noise gate that helps too as well. Something else that's interesting about high gain amps that I've noticed too is sometimes you can lower the, the noise uh, threshold if you put something in the effects loop. So like a pedal, you don't have to even activate it. Just put something in the noise gate. So are in the noise gate, in the effects loop. So if you have a noise gate, you can try putting that through the effects loop. See if that even helps. Obviously the noise gate will help, but just I find something have in the noise gate kind of tames that beast a little bit it's a really strange thing when i think of that like the fender pro sonic is a great amp that was made by bruce inky it has a very hissy reverb i was checking out one use the other day and it was driving me crazy and i always and i know that's so that's one of the things if you put something in the effects loop it'll tame that that noise down so there you go uh raymond says can you get by can you get recording studio quality with squires yeah of course yeah yeah, I think of it this way. We, we don't know. You know what I mean? The, 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 the truth of this is, is when I say we don't know, think of it this way. All these amazing albums we listen to from all kinds of genres of music. And unlike today where everything is documented with a phone, everything's got an Instagram tag on it, everything is put on Facebook and YouTube. And, you know, back in the day, you know, no one was really filming all that stuff. Maybe a couple bands did a couple documentaries of the recording studio. So we don't know what they put in albums. And now when you look, and most of them are on drugs, and they don't even remember. I talked to so many uh, musicians, you know, as a nerd, when you go up to them, I do that Chris Mar Farley kind of, hey, remember when you made this album and you had that tone? Um, and you know how many of them go like I don't, I don't know i think i used a roland jazz chorus and i'm like really and they're like i don't remember <laughs> so um so yeah my answer to you is yeah can you get squires to do uh great quality in the studio of course you can well first of all the studio is not a fair fight one of the things that i kind of push on this channel is i'm a gear reviewer not a gear demoer and the reason i say that is i'm not a studio engineer you understand please please understand what i'm saying if uh, you give me a squire to review, I will promise you that whatever I do in my video, whether you like my playing or not, when you get that squire, I promise you within 90% accuracy, it sounds the way it sounded with me. Even if you go, man, he got more mids out of it than I'm getting. Maybe that's my style, my technique, my playing, the amp I use, whatever. But whatever I'm using, whether it's a pedal or amp, I try to get as close to how I think you're going to get it. In fact, my goal in life when I make a video is that if you get the product, uh, you go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly like Phil had it. Or because here's why I'm very aware of the fact that most of the reviews you guys watch that I do, like a lot of YouTubers, it's not to buy something, it's to eliminate something. I understand that if I review something, I want you to go, you know, after listening to it on a couple videos, maybe I'll pass. And again, that's not what I, you know, I'm not saying I don't want you to buy stuff. I'm just saying I want you to make decisions. I hope this empowers good decisions. How about that? That's a great way to say it. Anyways, the reason I say that, that's a reviewer's job, to give you an accurate representation of what you might expect. That's what I'm trying to give you every day. I'm not a demo channel. A demo channel is to make something sound fantastic. And that's not to cheat or to, to con or trick anyone. It's just to show you what you can do with something. But here's what I can tell you watching all the engineers I've seen. A good studio engineer can make a... a a gorilla amp and a crappy guitar sound great in recording because you can fix it in post. You can fix anything. You can add to it. So, so the answer to your question is: Can you take a Squire and record with it and make good quality recordings? Absolutely, because a good quality a good quality engineer and producer can make great stuff. You know what I mean? Can make anything sound great for the most part. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 
drum bum 73 says good two twelve cab for practice setup well of course i'm going to recommend that harley ben cabinet the thing was crazy good i i'm still in shock with that it's actually in the other room right now because i'm using it so um only thing sometimes i like i uh, do the live show you know every week i can if you guys ask me about uh the video i did that week i can follow up on anything only thing i probably didn't mention in the video uh in that review that's probably worth mentioning here um I think I said it briefly or mentioned it, but it created a lot more low end frequency than I ever anticipated the cabinet to ever make. Sounds great. If you need low end punch, uh, it'll give it to you. Uh, however, if you don't want low end, um, maybe it's not the right cabinet for you. But um, the speaker sounded great, of course, and the, the cabinet sounds great. That's a great cabinet. Um, I can't imagine right now. I, you didn't say good cheap cabinet. So, I mean, obviously there's great cabinets out there uh, for a practice setup, but that's a great 212 cabinet. I would imagine the horizontal is just as equally as good. Um, the uh, problem for me is all of my 212, like my 212 PRS cabinet behind me right there, that cabinet was $1,100 street price. And uh, my uh, 212 Marshall cabinet, uh, my 212-2061X cabinet was $899 street price or $850. And then the 1936 is like $700. So again, I like all those 212 cabinets and I recommend all of those. But again, they were all pricey. And now I'm a little like, man, I wish I would have went maybe went the Harley Benton a little more. You know, I, I, like I said, I, I'm not going to say it's the greatest cabinet ever, but it was it's good enough. <laughs> I think I, I, well, I don't think I, I know I still prefer the uh, PRS cabinet over it to tonality. I know some of you guys will probably say like do an AB, but I mean, it seems silly because here's the deal that was better, but I mean, it was also five times the price. So five and a half times the price. So of course it's better. You just got to have five and a half times the money. So, uh, Kurt Andrew says, Hey, Phil, did you ever get an opportunity to review the line six helix thoughts? And are you making a video about it? Um, yes, the line six helix is actually right there. I know in the podcast you can't see, but I'm pointing to the bottom of my amp stand and it's at the bottom and you can see the cable in front of it. And I use it almost every day. Um, the helix is something that when they sent that to me, line six, uh, sent me a helix and unlike the other YouTubers that were savvy enough that did Axe Effects or, you know, Kempers, I, I literally have never turned the, any of that stuff on. And the Helix was supposed to be like tr totally easy to do. And although I can't say it was super complicated, um, it took me a little bit learning curve. And so um, the question be became, well, how, what do I do? I don't really want to do a, a review of it, you know, showing you what I think of it. I want to show you how I'm using it. So yes, I'll do the video about that. The reason I didn't release the video yet is they also sent me the, the, uh, the, the line six, uh, uh, Variax guitar. And, um, I, I, I got the Variax and I wanted to master the, the helix cause I want to use them both in the video. So I don't know, but I don't, so, you know, that, that idea sailed. There won't, there won't be a video of me using the helix and the axe, uh, in the line, the helix, the helix will be one video and the Variax will be another video. Uh, because of the fact that it just, when I worked it all out, I think that's the best benefit I can give to people watching. Cause again, I want to be able to help somebody see a, product and understand it the way I, you know, kind of take the journey with me kind of thing. All right. Um, okay. So K, uh, K Drake 77 says PRS 319 for the stealth cabinet to uh, run a black star one watt through V type, uh, open back. Um, 
I can't remember. It says, yes. So the stealth, I've never tried it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going on right now. I'm just realizing, yeah, I've never tried the stealth cabinets. The PRS cabinet I have is the old style. They don't even think they make these ones anymore, or maybe they do in limited run. This is the pine cabinet, extra wide. It's actually wider than a 212, and it was kind of pricey. Um, if given the option, I'd probably bought the stealth at the time, but the stealths didn't exist when I bought that cabinet. And uh, when I bought that cabinet, I wanted it because this is the same cabinet that John Mayer uses. Uh, I believe he uses different speakers in his. He might use V30s. This has V30s, but it's the John Mayer cabinet. So, you know, I figured, uh, actually, I, uh, so to be totally transparent with you guys, you can start making fun of me afterwards. Um, I went and saw John Mayer live again. It's like my third time seeing him. And I, after the show, I became hyper- uh, this is like a year and a half ago. I became hyper like focused on getting a, a John Mayer sound. So I bought the custom 50 and that cabinet. <laughs> and I'm glad I did. As you guys see, it's been sticking around. It's an amp that's really stuck with me. Um, it's got a big, huge clean tone that I like. Mary is awesome. Fluid focus says Mary is awesome. Yeah, I know. But I mean, you know, there's difference. Well, there's a silver sky right there. By the way, music guitarist, I got your emails. Like I said, I was dealing with a hole this week and a couple of things. I got your emails. And actually what I did is, uh, believe it or not, this is my notebook that I keep all my notes. I took your emails and I wrote a ton of notes uh, based on what you were telling me. And I, I, I'm trying to use some of the suggestions you had and some of the, the concerns you had about the guitar in, in, in the production video. So you guys know one thing that's cool when I do the videos, I released a lot of them to the uh, patrons and say, hey, can you give me some notes on it? And sometimes the patrons, when they see that I have content, they send me messages anyone can do that you know what i mean um but as you guys seen like on this on the qa the problem with sending me emails is that they, they get all stacked and sometimes i can't get to them as you know so um so it just gets it faster all right on that note we're gonna leave with kaiser band brandroff right that's what i'm pretty sure i'm saying i'm gonna check it right now and that is correct and don't worry, the Waco kid, you're right after this. And Raymond. Oh, well, I missed a bunch. Okay, wait, we're going to go back. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. That's what happens when the screen jumps. We got James Williams says, how do you feel about the Johnny Marr Jaguar? Uh, I had a Johnny Marr Jaguar, the metallic orange one and at the time i was like oh i don't like 24 scale i don't like the short scale i don't like all the switches i don't like the guitar and um I sold it. And, um, what happened was I got really lucky. I bought it. Uh, I bought a used one. I got a really good deal on it. I was liking it. And a buddy of mine who saw it said, man, if you, if you want to sell that, I would love to buy it from you. And he knew what I paid for it. And he offered me $200 over that. And I, I said, I had it for about a week or two. And then I thought, man, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to love this guitar. I'd rather make 200 bucks on it and move on and maybe find the guitar I might, I want. But looking back now, I wish I kept it not only cause it was a good guitar, but you know, cause it was the cool color, the, the, the burnt metallic orange. Um, and I can tell you right now, not, I can honestly say, I don't think I'd buy a Jaguar, but if I did, the Johnny Marr Jaguar was just awesome i also had it in my head that i didn't like the seven and a quarter inch radius that was the other thing although it felt great it was just in my head i didn't like that so uh ed ved 796 says how can i create a new grounding point on an sg um so i'm sensing that you're obviously talking about your electronics and you're saying you're another grounding point 
buddy, I don't know if I know where this is going. So if you're trying to make sure your guitar is grounded correctly, obviously you need to make sure all the, there's a ground wire touching all the potentiometers to the switch, to the output jack, and then there needs to be a ground point to your bridge through the body. But you're saying create a new grounding point? There's no way to create a new one. That question has to be a little more detailed than that for me to answer. I'm sorry, buddy. Raymond says, uh, yep, my bullet telly feels like home. Love it. Uh, love the show. Thank you, man. I'm glad you love the show. And we've talked about the bullet tellies. Again, I have a bullet Squire the Strat that I like. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just a great guitar. Um, I did. Actually, you know what's funny? What's funny? What's funny when you do uh, videos? Uh, I got 600 videos. I told you guys a couple months ago I was going to review the my bullet Squire. <laughs> and when I was going to do it, I found out, I was looking at my phone, I was looking at my videos, I found out I already did it. So I did a video a while back on my Bullet Squire. So I did review my Bullet Squire. Uh, the Waco Kid official says, got two guitars and a bunch of boss pedals for 230 bucks from a, from a divorce sale, the wife. Yeah, <laughs> should I feel bad or enjoy the deal? You know, that becomes, that becomes a, a thing, right? The ethics issue, you know what I mean? Um, I don't, I don't ever condone taking advantage of anybody for any reason. Right. You know what I mean? Um, what I like to do in that situation. So again, I'll tell you, Waco kid, how I handle a situation like that. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say I was somewhere and somebody had a American standard Stratocaster for sale. I don't care what the reason is. They're getting divorced. They're in a bad way whatever it was their, you know, their, their uncles. And they say, I will sell this to you for $200. What I will do, because this, this is where it's tough. Cause you want to tell them the truth. Hey man, this is worth like six, 700 bucks minimum. You know what I mean? I, but you don't want to give them that cause you want a deal. Right? So, and if you say, Hey, I'll give you a three cause it's worth more than that. You're afraid that they might say, well, then I'll think I'll hold out and get the right price. Um, but what I find is to keep my myself sleeping comfortable at night, I find I always tell them, look, I can tell you, I tell you real quick, I'll say in that situation, I would say, hey, so you know, this guitar's worth like six, seven hundred dollars, but you're gonna have to find a buyer for it. I'm a buyer cash now. You're saying 200. Let me give you an extra hundred bucks or whatever. I always throw a little extra at them. Um, I've never had a situation where they, they say no. They always say, hey, thanks for being honest. Um, and so what I'm telling you is I'm telling you to do two things. One, do the right thing and give them the right information, but also do the right thing for yourself. Not only do I tell them the truth about the value of their product, but I also, also remind them that they have a cash buyer in front of them. That's what I find is the important part, not putting doubt in their head that they're going to have to find a buyer next, but I reminding them that, Hey, it's worth more, but I'm right here and this is easy. And that's probably what you're looking for. And I'll throw a little bit extra at you because of that. So that's how I do that. And so, you know, um, some people are probably better people than me. They might go, Hey man, it's worth seven. I'll give you the five or six. Me. I always just throw a little bit on whatever they ask. If they were, if, now if they were asked like 10 bucks, I'd be like, dude, that's crazy. But seriously, if somebody said 200 bucks on American Strat, I would throw in another hundred dollar bill at least and say, Hey, at least three. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it's, you know, I'm right here and it's here, something, whatever, more than what they asked. That's how I go home and go, Hey, look, I gave more than they asked anybody else. Cause the truth is not anybody else. A lot of people would just, well, a lot of people, so, you know, uh, would actually try to get it for 150. That's the disgusting truth. And anybody who says different than that, well, I don't know. I've worked in re guitar retail for 
a decade and a half, and that's not what I experienced watching things. Um, okay, so Kaiser Brandoff, sorry, it says, Hey, Phil, been doing some research since your video about the Mustang GT amp. Okay, cool. Would you recommend that or something else or a modeling pedal or an amp uh, as a first purchase for a bedroom player? Well, uh, Kaiser Brandoff, I, I did the, the Mustang review because a lot of the viewers asked for the Mustang review video and then Fender reached out and said, Hey, can we send you a Mustang uh, amp to review? And I said, yeah, that's actually what they've been asking for. But I didn't say in the video because it's not, it's not pertinent to that, this, to that video, but I've said it many times here. I am not a modeling fan. I'm not into modeling amps. I like rolling cubes because again, they're more solid state than modeling. I like more solid state amps than modeling. That being said, I think the Mustang GTs are great, but me personally, um, I like a lot of other, you know, uh, amps better. I like the Katana better. I didn't, if I had a Katana and the GT, I would have done a comparison. And then there, in that case, I would have done the video said, Hey, I like the Katana better. I would have done that. I'm doing that now. I like the Katana better. Unfortunately in the video, I might've said I like the Katana better in the video. I can't remember. Anyways, doesn't matter. And I did a video of the Katana. I did a video of the Mustang. I like the Katana better. There you go. So to, 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 and, and so, you know, the Katana is, is a solid state amp. Uh, it's not a digital modeling platform. My understanding could be wrong. On that note, we went uh, hour and a half. We did the talked about the purchase code. We talked about uh, Charvels, and now it's time to thank you for the patrons. I appreciate you guys so much hanging out with me this week. Uh, you guys are always awesome. Uh, I love that you guys chat with each other. I love that you guys hang out before the show, and I appreciate all the questions you make the show happen, man. This is a you know somebody said something this week. I wanted to tell you guys. I'm gonna tell you now since you guys are hanging out to the end. Uh, that was really cool. They said my live show is not a QA. It's an interview show, but I interview the audience. Uh, and I said, oh, that's an interesting thought. And they, I, I, and I, I now I see that. I see that that's really cool. I, uh, yeah, it's a show highlighting you guys, right? You guys ask questions and we talk about the things you guys want to talk about. And that's what's great. That's why I think this has been doing well because every week you guys come up with interesting things to talk about and we talk about them. And on that note, we're going to think of people that make this happen. And that's Jeff Howe, Zachary Rowe, Michael Newman, Bruce, and the Saltwater Whiskey Band, Hanner Gunson, John Jex, Michael Shy, Justin Mabe. David Madison, Passy, Polkanini, Passy, we're just going to go with Passy, buddy. Alice Dahlhart, McLeod, Andy Dennis, Anthony Desposito, Bob Crosley, Bob Pickwode. By the way, thank you, Bob, for your question today. Brian Quackenbush, Brian Stewart. Uh, Brian Stewart couldn't miss the show. I know you missed it uh, live because your uh, kid's graduating. So happy graduation and on the replay. Happy graduation. <laughs> uh, Bruce Collins, Chuck Keen, Chief Squatch, Chris at the Guitar Pit. It's a great channel. Check it out. Chris from New Mexico. No channel, but a cool state. <laughs> Craig Parker, Dave, Dave R's Guitars, Dennis Prescott, Derek Miller, uh, Aaron Kamecker, Gary Phillips, uh, Gene Graham, Greg Peterson, uh, James Biles, John Russell, Jonathan Pickering, Joseph McCarthy, Kermit Jackson, Larry Colkin, Lawrence Petros, Lonnie Hoke, Michael Lindner, Michael Mooney, Muse guitarist. Again, Muse, thank you so much for those emails. Again, you're going to make that video fantastic because you had a lot of good insight. Thank you. Uh, and uh, back to where I'm at. Oh, yeah. Paul Ostrike, Lewis and Alvaro from Pedal Pal Effects, Sam Orem, Steve Hogan, Tim Camacho, Tim Farnsworth. Thank you again for uh, all the comments today, Tim, on the channel. Todd Flowers, as always, thank you for your comments. And then Zesty Basil Pizza. 
you guys are all awesome. You literally make this happen every week so that we all get to enjoy this. Uh, and I, I thank you for it. Everyone else, I thank you. Have a great uh, weekend and, uh, and uh, have a safe Memorial Day. And until next week, know your gear.